Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. It was very early on the first day of the week, and still dark when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been moved away from the tomb. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, she said and we don't know where they have put him. So Simon Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb. They ran together with the other disciple running faster than Peter reached the tomb first. He bent down and saw the linen cloths lying on the ground, but did not go in. Simon Peter, following him, also came up, went into the tomb, saw the linen cloths lying on the ground, and also the cloth that had been over his head. This was not with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw, and he believed. Till that moment they had not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. For when Jesus died and rose from the dead, He raised up all of our hopes that we too who die with him shall rise with him, not only in the hereafter, but here and now. And this is why I believe that this gospel and this solemnity of Jesus' resurrection is the greatest day of all. It is the greatest feast of the whole year. But it's hard to understand the resurrection. It was hard for the early disciples to understand it. So it should be no surprise to us that we grapple with its meaning and its significance in our lives. But we would begin by saying this is at the very centerpiece of our faith. This, more than anything, is what we ought to focus on and never lose sight of. That in St. Paul's words, if it were not for the resurrection of Christ, then we would be the greatest fool's honor. For would there be no purpose for us in life? There would be no hope for us in eternal life. And so 
Today we want to take a hard look at the resurrection and what it means spiritually and theologically and, of course, scripturally, but even pragmatically in our lives. To just say a few things by way of background, you understand that no single individual ever witnessed Jesus rising from the dead. All that we know that are written in the Gospels are written after the fact of Jesus' resurrection. We don't know how he rose, exactly when he rose. All that we know is that God did raise him up. It is interesting, you know, in our creed, we say Jesus, under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. That's such a uh, misnomer and it caused misunderstanding. I'd like to clarify that because obviously Jesus did not go to that what we call hell. There is a better translation that we should have said Jesus went among the dead. In the scriptural mind, it would be the nether world, the place where they thought the dead went underneath the earth. So hell is not the right word there. Jesus did not descend to what we would think of as that place of the absence of God. But he went to enter into that same state that all of us will visit at the end of our life. And from there, placed in the tomb, and it's from that tomb that he was raised up by God on the third day, which we will see in a moment is on the third day means on the Lord's day, in God's way. A word more about resurrection. The resurrection is not resuscitation such as we see in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, where Lazarus was resuscitated, but then continued on living the life he had previously lived. And resurrection is not reincarnation. It's not coming back to life in another form, whatever that form may be. Resurrection is the greatest graduation to the greatest life, to a whole other world where In the words of Paul, I believe, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it ever entered anyone's mind what God has prepared for those who love him. This is what the hope of resurrection offers us. In the Gospels, which are our only place to go to try to understand what we believe about resurrection, we have two kinds of stories. You might know this. The first is the empty tomb stories where the apostles will go and see that Jesus is no longer among the dead, which is what the whole point of these stories reveal. And then there are the appearance stories where Jesus will appear. They won't even recognize him at first. But today we have the first of the empty tomb stories from John's Gospel. So with that as a bit of background information, we then begin. This is the very dawning of Jesus rising. And we're told, in first setting the stage, John describes early in the morning on the first day of the week. I just want to highlight those two phrases, early in the morning. It was the time uh, that the Jewish people called the last watch of the night, which was between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. 6 o'clock would have been the first hour of the day. It was on the first day of the week. You would know that the last day of the week was Saturday for the Jews, the Sabbath. 
It was that day, based on the pattern of the creation, that they believed they needed to rest as God rested on the seventh day. So the last day of the week, the seventh day, was a Sabbath day. And because of the Sabbath laws, they were not permitted to walk very far. And so the disciples and friends of Jesus could not visit the tomb because they would have broken the Sabbath rules and regulations. Maybe they didn't visit the tomb for other reasons as well, as we're here later, as they were locked behind closed doors, full of doubt and fear. But part of the reason that Mary Magdalene couldn't come there till the first day of week because the Sabbath wasn't yet completed. We're told that it was still dark. Now, this is a very important point, as any person who appreciates drama could understand the rich symbolism here. When Jesus died, the evangelist writing, and darkness covered the whole world. In fact, this was the darkest day and the darkest hour of human history. This is the worst tragedy. This is the day that we, the world, killed our God. And that truly is the darkest hour of our human history and the world. Darkness covered the whole world. When John, in, in painting this dark picture, he used that darkness-light theme throughout his gospel, you might know, and darkness always represented those who did not yet come into the light of faith, to know that Jesus was the light of the world. But darkness could also symbolize the general mood of his friends. We can understand this because we go through periods of darkness ourselves. Emotionally, they were in the dark because a part of them had certainly died along with Jesus that day. Intellectually, they were in the dark because they didn't understand anything about resurrection. Even though Jesus had hinted about this and referred to this, the Jewish people at the time did not have a well-defined understanding or teaching of the resurrection. And spiritually, we know that they were in the dark, feeling totally lost without their Lord, their master, their leader, their teacher. They were full of doubt and fear, as we would see later, as they're locked in that upper room, scared to death that there'd be the next ones that they will come after to lose their life. It's in that very dark time that there appears on the stage of this Easter Sunday morning one of the bright lights, one of the great saints, and her name is Mary of Magdala. Magdala, by the way, is a small town very close to Capernaum on the rim of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his public ministry. We don't know anything about her, though she suffers a bad reputation as living a life of immorality, but we don't know that that's the case. What we do know is that she had many demons that had haunted her and hurt her throughout her life, and that Jesus had expelled these demons from her. And since then, she became one of the greatest of followers of Jesus. And she had followed Jesus all the way to Calvary, and now she followed him all the way to the cemetery. In fact, she was the first one there. We have to say, why is it Mary Magdala or Mary Magdalene would be the first to the tomb? I think it's always love that leads us to be with the person we truly love. 
And that is exactly what will lead us to the Lord. I often think, how could we grow to come closer to Christ? Just pray to fall in love for him and with him. Just pray to fall in love. It's all about loving. We have to say that, but it's, and even as we study the Gospels, hopefully this is only leading us to loving him. And in loving him, we desire to know him more. I just want to invite us with Mary of Magdala to come to Christ this Easter, to search for his presence in our lives. And where do we go? We go to those places that we would call our empty tomb, those places of difficulty and death and disappointment, those places of loss, those places of struggle, those places that are marked as the ashes on our forehead on Ash Wednesday of sinfulness, those places that are not together, that are hard to go to, it's in those very places the Lord will come to visit us. And that's what we see here. So Mary appears to this tomb that becomes like a spiritual womb. Understand, a place where a new life comes forth. She sees that the stone had been moved away, and so she goes running to the disciples to peer into John. His mention is not John, but the disciple whom Jesus loved, and says, the Lord has been taken from the tomb. Uh, perhaps you know that in ancient Palestine, tombs were little caves. Uh, you understand this is a very rocky terrain in a very hilly area, so that there would have been many little caves. And Jesus would have been placed in one of these caves after having been taken down from the cross. We know it to be the tomb set aside for Joseph of Arimathea. It hadn't been used yet, so they placed Jesus there, as was close by Golgotha. Golgotha, you know, is a Hebrew name that means skull place. And his skull was, he was actually crucified on a little hill, this rock quarry, where they had these vertical posts already in line, and they carried the crossbeam and put him there. And then he was taken down and placed immediately just close by in this cave. In front of the cave, they always placed this huge rock. that They would roll over the cave to protect the entrance. When Mary saw that this huge stone had been already rolled away and that the tomb was empty, it was very clear to her that someone had come and stolen the body of Jesus. And sometimes uh, there were known to be these grave robbers because they would bury uh, treasures along with them. At this point, understand that Mary would never have suspected anything else. Realize the disciples and Mary are still in the dark. They've not seen the Lord, and they've not understood anything about resurrection. They would have been as shocked as we would have been if, imagine this, coming home from a funeral service. And we walked in our house and then saw the deceased person we just saw laid into the ground right there in our living room. So we have to put ourselves in their minds. John and Peter are the first ones she goes to, but John is not mentioned. He's mentioned as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John writing his gospel. Maybe he doesn't want to use his own name. Maybe he doesn't want to be the center of attention here. Maybe he wants, what I suspect, to let his community 
see themselves as the beloved disciple. That somehow we're being invited to come along to that place where we feel the loss of life, a kind of a death to ourselves. We're being invited by this apostle, Mary Magna. I say apostle because she's the first one to come and bring the good news to others. So Peter and John go running then to the tomb themselves. Now this is a point not to miss, because just a couple days earlier, they were running in the opposite direction. Now according to John's gospel, John was the one single disciple to be faithful to Christ at the foot of the cross. All we know is that this point, they're experiencing a real turnaround, which is what we call conversion. We all can experience this when we take more time to turn to the Lord in prayer, to turn to him in good times and in bad. This is what we're being invited to do in this holy week, to turn more to the Lord. It's interesting that this fourth gospel mentions that John, in fact, outran Peter. It's suspected, of course, he was probably younger, but more so it indicates to John's community now that John held a special position in leading the way. Again, here is a disciple who had a loving heart and who Jesus loved dearly. This is a disciple, we recall, earlier at the Last Supper, leaning his head on the heart of Jesus. And it's such a beautiful symbol or ritual of his closeness to Christ. And so it's, again, just like we saw with Mary Magdalene, it's that love that leads him to run to the Lord. And I love that sense of the passion that overtakes him. Uh, do we have that kind of passion? Do we run after the Lord? And Peter comes along, and John does not go inside. Scripture scholars think that this is a subtle a suggestion of the respect paid to Peter, who in all of the resurrection accounts, even though Peter clearly had denied the Lord, denied that he knew him at all, it's still given the first place of respect. He's named first in all these stories of resurrection. And here at the tomb is the first one permitted to go inside. And then Peter observes the wrappings, the piece of cloth, and notices it's rolled up neatly by itself. Now, interesting, Peter doesn't make anything of it. And this is a guy who doesn't get it very quickly. Frankly, I completely identify with him. Peter is a slow learner, as am I. And not that these things are hard to conceive mentally. It's a long mile and many years ago from the head to the heart, as we say. And even longer to really fully integrate it, this Easter faith into our life. In any case, special mention is given toward this shroud that is folded up very neatly. The obvious inference here is that a robber would just come and just throw things around. They don't care about folding things up neatly afterwards. So that's the point of it. This shroud was discovered that is this X-ray vision of this cloth of some man who had been brutally beaten, where there are blood stains that have put his whole image on the shroud. It is a great relic of what could well represent a man who had been crucified and scourged and in the worst torture. What 
is mentioned then is that John, the disciple, walks in. He sees and believes. Now, what does he see? Nothing that Peter didn't see. In John's gospel, a sign was like something that pointed to the greatest reality of Christ. He saw here in the emptiness, this empty room, he saw a sign of Christ's risen presence, which is very hard for the normal eyes to see. What we're suggesting is only the eyes of faith could possibly interpret it this way. So John's giving this message to his community, message to all of us, is when we look into the deep, dark caverns of our lives, those hallowed out spaces of emptiness and loneliness in our lives, can you see a sign of hope that here is where the Lord will make his sanctuary of his risen presence? That's what we're invited to see, but only the Easter light could reveal that to us, that Easter faith. And so the whole gospel story ends on this parenthetical note. Remember, as of yet, they, meaning the disciples, did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This Easter gospel story, Jesus rose from that dark tomb to show himself as our risen Lord and Christ the King of all creation. So if we look today at this rest of the story, we can have great hope for the rest of the story of our life. Is more and more as I reflect on the Easter story, I can easily believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I believe that happened in the past, and I can believe, I'm sure you can too, that when we all die, we too, if we live for the Lord, shall rise with the Lord. I have no trouble believing in the past. I know trouble believing in the future Easter event. What I have trouble with is believing in the present moment, <laughs> that God could raise up this situation in which I'm walking in the dark still, that God could take this broken person or this tragedy or calamity or this trouble, and I have trouble believing, can God bring good from this? Can God raise me above my doubts and fears? This is what we are invited to believe. This is what Easter offers to us, that we need to look into the places that I would call our empty tombs. As I say, there's places of emptiness, there's places where we're not experiencing fullness, where we're not really at peace, where we are, may I say it again, in the dark, not fully understanding what's the purpose of all this. Let me give an example. One of the hard situations that I hear from so many people is how hard it is to grow old. <laughs> Isn't that true? Our bodies grow weaker as our years grow longer. 
And what's good about it? What's good about it? What I heard one person once say is, I trust a very holy man. He says, I finally discovered that because my body is on the downward decline, I find I have more reason to pay attention to my inner spirit, and that's on the upward swing. So as my body declines, my spirit is being lifted up. I'm spending more time in prayer. I'm spending more attention on what matters most in life. I'm learning to unite myself more with Christ on the cross and give up myself for Christ. Does this make sense? So you see this movement of death and resurrection. We see it in other ways. All of us are blessed with crosses. All of us are facing hardships and Sometimes it's just overwhelming, and I find I'm overcome by it. All of us are blessed with weaknesses, and sometimes it gets the best of us, or it make the worst of us, I might say. And what's good about it? One of the great questions I like to ask is, what is good about Good Friday? Why do they call Good Friday good? I mean, we have to ask that. What's good about what we're suffering right now? So you've got to place yourself there. Bishop Sheen said this so well, and I want to amplify this message. He said, unless there is a good Friday in our lives, there will never be an Easter Sunday. Isn't that great? Unless there is a good Friday in our lives, there will never be an Easter Sunday. We have to be willing to go to Calvary if we want to share in his glory. We've got to be willing to sacrifice our life if we want to enjoy God's great and eternal life. Are you willing to make this holy exchange? It's very difficult. In your own mind and heart, to welcome you, invite you to that place in your life, that empty tomb in your home, that place of emptiness in your family, the hardship defeats, agonies, sufferings you had to endure. And can you believe in that very place of hurt that Jesus will raise you up? Do you believe that? Do you believe, my friends, that after your Good Friday, there will be for you an Easter Sunday? Do you believe that after your little crucifixions and deaths, you will experience your resurrection right here, right now, as well as in the hereafter. Do you believe it? This is our faith, and it's why we can sing at the end of this gospel, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.